Joe went driving through town in his shiny new red pickup. He was listening to the radio and heard an ad for the singing competition American Idol. Joe cringed at hearing the word idol. He believed no one should ever put a singer or anyone else on a pedestal. In no way, shape, or form should we worship these people as if they were a god, an idol. Joe prayed a silent prayer, thanking the Lord that he had no idols in his life. He continued on with his day, and the Lord tried to teach him a lesson. After he had run an errand, he returned to his truck, and he noticed a a big dent on the side of his brand new truck. This was his prized possession. Somebody had carelessly slammed a car door into his truck. How could they? Well, maybe he could patch it up, get a dent repair kit, smooth out the dent. But that would keep him from making it to Wednesday evening service. He hated to miss, but this was his new truck. It demanded his attention, his time, so Joe missed that Wednesday night. Joe also had to miss service on Sunday because he had bought a nice new boat for his nice new truck to go bass fishing on the lake. He looked forward to showing off his new truck, his new boat, down at the docks. Many of the friends and neighbors would be jealous, and he was just sure that God would bless him with a great haul of fish that day, just like God blessed Peter, Andrew, James, John. And Joe planned to bring home the fish and fry them up on his brand new grill. Even if he got back in time for Sunday night service, he would be way too tired to make it to church. His recliner, that's where he would be. Like a fish on the line, he could not resist the recliner's pool. As Joe heard the American Idol commercial play once again, he smugly said out loud, Thank the Lord, I have no idols in my life. Joe seems strangely familiar, doesn't he? There are Certainly there are Joes in our day, but there were Joes in their day. They were some of the Jews in the first century. They thought they knew everything there was to know about Jehovah. They boldly proclaimed they would never put anything in front of him. But when Jesus appeared right before their very eyes, Jehovah in flesh was right there in front of them. They had no idea. They had no idea he was the God who also appeared to Moses in the burning bush. They were blinded by ignorance and anger. They wanted to stone him for proclaiming that Jesus was the great I am. Now we rejoice in the revelation that our God is one and he came in flesh as Jesus Christ, but we can't can't lose sight of Jesus' identity by allowing us to be pulled away by possessions and other things that would pull us away from God. We know that calling on Jesus means we call on the one God of the Bible, but we might not always act like it. When we neglect Coming to worship God with the rest of our church family, we neglect our devotion, our prayer time, our Bible study for modern-day idols. We're a lot more like the first-century Jews who fail to realize the greatness of the one in our very midst. And I'm going to share with you some ways we can be careful and we can make sure we keep him right in the center and worship him as who he is, God. I'll let you know right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast. Brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. I hope you had a wonderful and Merry Christmas. I hope you're having a great Boxing Day, and you are listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion podcast. Today's lesson is dated 
December 26, 2021, and it is entitled, The I Am. We're going to take a look at Jesus as the I Am. This is going to be a pretty great episode because I'm looking forward to sharing with you who the I Am is and how we know Jesus came as the I Am. So if you have your companion student guide, please turn there to the December 26, 2021 lesson. If you don't have your companion student guide, quite all right. Just follow along with me in John chapter 8. We're going to look at one verse, John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That was Jesus speaking. Now, almost everyone in the ancient world believed in gods, little g, gods. Some atheists have pointed to religious skepticism in ancient texts, but but atheism has virtually no significance in the ancient world. In fact, polytheists are those who believe in many gods. They found it very strange when Israelites declared they worshipped the one true God, Jehovah. Polytheists even accused the Israelite monotheists of being atheists because they didn't worship their large pantheon of gods. To the polytheists, the more the merrier, right? Travelers to Israel would have expressed some pretty great surprise upon hearing about this strange monotheistic devotion. You only have one God? They probably had many questions. If they stayed in a household truly loyal to Jehovah and not overtaken with idols, the host family might have told their guests the story of Moses learning about Jehovah, the I Am. The Lord spoke to Moses from a burning bush that burned but did not burn up. And God called Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, a very polytheistic place. The most wanted posters in Egypt had Moses' face plastered and painted all over it. They likely littered the land of the Nile. If Moses returned to Egypt, Pharaoh would send out the paddy wagon instead of the welcome wagon. Like his ancestor Joseph, Moses would find himself in an Egyptian prison, or possibly worse. So to help Moses and Calm a little of his fear, the Lord gave him some miracles to perform. But Moses anticipated a question. He just knew these Hebrew slaves were going to ask him. Moses said, Lord, when I come to the children of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, we're we're getting out of here, everybody. They're going to ask me. He did, did he? What is his name? What will I tell him? And the Lord replied by identifying himself as I am that I am. We find that in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. The Hebrew language reveals some pretty essential characteristics about the nature of God. I am can be translated as he is or he will be. And we find that God is not one confined to space or time. He transcends it. He is, he will be. People talk about God so much in the world that The Almighty might even seem commonplace. So how can we reignite a desire in ourselves and in others to know more about this great God we serve? To our finite human mind, the concept of anything existing without somebody else generating it, something else generating it, it seems impossible. People ask the question all the time, okay, well, if God created everything, who created God? Well, the answer to that question would be nothing because if something created God, the creator of God would be God. And then it just continues on and on. The I am always was. We'll never go back to a time when God did not exist. Our human logic, even though it's 
it's advancing in our understanding and our intelligence, it still functions on the very basic level of cause and effect. Things happen because something made it happen. However, the I am defies human reasoning. God exists over. He exists above time. I am can always refer to the eternal nature of God. Another name for God is El Olam, the everlasting God. God not only always was, God always will be. God has not simply existed throughout time. God existed before time and is the creator of time. He existed before there was a sun to mark time, and he will exist long beyond a sun to mark time. On the fourth day of creation, God set a greater light, the sun, to rule the day, a lesser light, the moon, to rule the night. And these two heavenly bodies govern the laws of space and time. They create gravitational forces in a way for us humans to measure time by the revolution of the earth around the sun. To many people in the ancient world, the sun and moon represented deities they worshipped. They worshipped the sun and the moon. A quick reading of Genesis 1 disproves this. God not only created the sun that the Egyptians worshipped and the moon that other cultures revered and worshipped, but these celestial bodies worked for God. They worked for the I Am. They delineated time. The great I Am stood above them, and he stands above all creation and above time. Because God has always existed easily, he can see the past, the present, the future. God is everything we need. We don't need more gods. We have the I Am. And when the I Am spoke to Moses, he saw the Israelites in slavery. He heard their cries. He heard the cries of past and present generations of slaves. He saw a future where a hesitant shepherd would accept the mantle of leadership and deliver God's people out of Egypt. The omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful I am knows the things we need even before we ask. That's comforting. Before we even breathe our first word of prayer, God has already seen where we are and he's already prepared the answer to our prayer. Since he heard and answered the cries of the Israelites, we can know, we can believe and have faith. He'll do the same for us. He will answer us and deliver us. How has God shown you in the past that he knew what you needed before you asked? And what do you need to trust him for what you're dealing with right now? In the first century, much of the jury remained unconvinced about Jesus' identity. Various witnesses offered conflicting testimonies. Some thought Jesus was Messiah. Others thought he was just a great man who came from God. Still others saw Jesus as some kind of magician or trickster or huckster attempting to draw the people away from the religious, the political structure that the Jewish temple and the Roman government worked to represent. Even Jesus' own disciples, his dream dozen, they struggled to identify him. They confused him when he spoke of who he really is. However, Jesus spoke a very bold statement at the end of John 8. He set up this statement by providing clues to his identity in that chapter as he continued to speak of him as I am. I am the light of the world. I am from above. I am not of this world. However, when he said before Abraham was, I am, Jesus' opponents knew he crossed a line. Jesus had used the ultimate pronoun, the ultimate state of being to identify himself as the I am Moses met at the burning bush. Jesus even claimed to predate Abraham, the father of the Jews. Jesus wasn't hinting anymore. He went to boldly proclaiming who he is, I am. And when he did, many people believed in him. 
These believing Jews had long waited for the Messiah to reveal himself. Now Jesus had proven himself through signs, wonders, miracles, just like at the burning bush. However, the essential truth came not from a miraculous feat, but from this revelatory explanation. The people knew and understood Jesus was identifying himself as the one true God, the great I am. What about you? How has Jesus identified himself to you? As Jesus' self-identification went from subtle clues to blatant claims, the religious leaders were incensed. They knew, they knew Jesus claimed to be God. But rather than considering they had the privilege of meeting the I Am, who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, they accused Jesus of blasphemy, a capital crime. They might have excused some of the things he said. They hated being called the children of the devil. <laughs> who wouldn't? They might have let Jesus' insult slide. But when Jesus crossed the line and identified himself as I am, they wanted to stone him. They could not handle that. Jesus was everything the Jews needed. They failed to recognize him because he didn't meet their expectations. They just knew he was going to come as a military messiah before he ever came, but they did not recognize Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecies that were made all through the Old Testament, all through the scriptures, when he came not to kick out the Romans, but he came to kick out sin. We must be very careful not to make the same mistake. We must not look for deliverance in drugs or alcohol or illicit sex or other sins, all the while ignoring the very one who says, I am the answer. We must not choose our own stubbornness and pride over Jesus. We must not think Jesus has crossed a line and crucify him again. We must realize what they failed to realize. Jesus is all we need. What about us? How do our expectations sometimes prevent us from experiencing what Jesus has for us? The ancient world did have many people worshiping many gods. There were gods in people's homes and temples and shrines, but there only has ever been one I am. Even many Israelites failed to realize this, and they turned to idolatry. They worshiped false gods. The Old Testament tells us that they would go out, cut down a tree. They'd use some of it for cooking, some of it for firewood, and the rest of it they would set up in their house, and they would bow down and worship it as God. A tree they had just cut down. People today, they might feel like they have a strong understanding of the I am. They don't worship any single idols as far as they know. However, we should all do an inventory of our lives. We must make sure that no possession, no desire, nothing in our lives, not a celebrity, not a sport, nothing replaces the worship or comes alongside our worship of the I am. He will not share his praise or his glory with others. We worship him in spirit and in truth when we truly know his identity. He is, Jesus Christ is the I am who came in flesh. Now, many people believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. They separate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the scripture does not teach a Trinity. The scripture teaches us about the unity of the one true God. Jesus Christ is Jehovah himself, the Father manifest in flesh. John 1.14 tells us the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 1 Timothy 3.16 gives us insight into Jehovah himself manifesting himself in flesh when Paul wrote, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 
justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. This verse describes everything Jesus did. Since God is the one manifest, we can know that Jesus is God who came in the flesh. Even the name Jesus reveals key truth about who he is. Jesus means literally Jehovah's Savior. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 2 proclaims, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. We could easily and acceptably change the last word of the verse to Jesus. He also, Jehovah, has become my Jesus, my salvation. Doing so would cause that verse to proclaim that the Lord Jehovah has become my Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah who came in flesh. Jesus saves us from our sins. Jesus saves us from our sicknesses. Jesus saves us from addiction. And if we will humble ourselves and have a heart willing to receive Jesus and this understanding of who he is, Jesus saves us from our misunderstandings of who he really is. Now, some of us have a hard time with this because such an awesome, all-powerful, magnificent deity seems distant from us. The very idea of the Lord of the cosmos, the creator, paying any attention to us, that might seem strange. But Jesus bridged the gap. God, manifested in the flesh, came to us. When we could not get to him, he came to us. So when we call on Jesus, we're calling on the one God of the Bible. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we pray because Jesus is the name of the Father. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we invoke the power of the God of glory, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings. We connect to the infinite power that comes from God's Holy Spirit. And while we rejoice when the name of Jesus brings miracles, signs, and wonders, let us never forget the power of the revelation of the one God we serve. He, Jesus, is the great I am. He is Jehovah's Savior. He is Jesus. Now let me ask you one more question. What is so significant about the name of Jesus, especially when it comes to prayer and baptizing believers? Okay, let's wrap this up. Maurice was headed to the plant for his early shift, straining to peer into the black fog. He could remember foggy mornings before, but this might be the foggiest he could remember in years. It was a struggle to see the lines on the highway, so he primarily pushed the car into the darkness just by instinct, by memory of that familiar road he had traveled. When the sight of the giant cow loomed in the headlights, he fought denial. Really? A cow? In the road? Just a few feet ahead? There's no time to rationalize that. He instinctively bellowed the name of Jesus. He closed his eyes and braids for impact with Bessie. He didn't even touch the brakes because collision was certain. But half a second passed and then another. And another and he opened his eyes to darkness again, looked in the mirror as he slowed the car and pulled over to get his breathing and heart rate under control. There had been a cow. He knows there had been a cow. It was as real as the steering wheel he clutched in his trembling grip. There was darkness, and then a cow, and then a prayer. Can a single word even count as a prayer? Unsure, alone in the darkness, he decided to extend that into a little longer prayer of gratitude toward God. After a few moments, he nosed the sedan back onto the dark road and continued driving, and his thoughts continued too. If he had been so quick to call on the name of Jesus in disaster, 
Why did he keep resisting the Bible studies teacher insistence that he call on the name of Jesus when he was baptized? And since Jesus had so miraculously rescued him from a, a certain collision, why not call out to Jesus every morning in prayer before the potential of a crisis even begins? So Maurice, right there in the darkness, with the fog ahead of him and gratitude inside him, cried out, Lord Jesus, I need you. And in doing so, he continued his drive, but he began a brand new life. I'm so thankful today to know who Jesus is and to know that we can call on him at any time. Let's do that right now. Let's call on the name of Jesus and let's pray that he would help us to see him for who he is, to worship him for who he is, and then to share him with others and let them know he is the I am. Jesus, I thank you today for the privilege to know you, to know who you are. You are the I am, the great almighty God. You came in flesh to save us from our sins. I thank you for that. You care for us. You love us. You understand everything we go through and you, everything we battle. You were tempted just like we are, yet without sin. I thank you for that. Help us today, not just to understand you, but to worship you for who you are. Help us not only to see you as the I am, but to worship you as the I am and to share you with others and to let them know who you are and that the wonderful things you have done for us, you will also do for them. I pray today, Jesus, help us to worship you, to adore you, to bless you as the great I am. I love you and I praise you and worship you and you alone. If there are idols in my life, God, please show me and forgive me so I can worship you and you alone. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners, for tuning in. Be sure to click subscribe on whatever platform you're listening. And then also be sure to share this episode with somebody who may have struggles or questions about who Jesus is. Perhaps this will help them to see him for who he really is or cause them to ask some questions of you and give you a chance to share your experience and understanding of Jesus with them. So subscribe and share. Next week, we continue and we will finish this four-week series about the revelation of God. We're going to go all the way from Genesis and Exodus, and we're going to skip 63, 64 books, and we're going to head very to the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 22. We're going to take a look at the very last chapter, and we're going to look at the one who sits on the throne. That's the title for next week, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. And always looking forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.